We're uh, working through the book of Acts together. Hopefully you've been blessed and encouraged by that. We're in chapter 16 this morning, if you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles there. And while you're turning there, usually in the process of studying uh, for any one of these texts that we're working through, I read a lot of different articles. And one in particular uh, this week really influenced and shaped kind of my thoughts on this section of a pastor by the name of Mark Batterson. He made this observation that I think really relates to our, uh, our, our text. It's, he says this, and maybe it's not super profound to you, but I think it speaks to our, uh, our, our section of Scripture pretty clearly. Our internal attitudes are much more important than our external circumstances. It was kind of based on a, a study that, uh, that was done at Northwestern University by a, a professor by the name of Vicki Medevic, who actually studied Olympic finalists or medalists and discovered kind of a unique thing that bronze medalists were typically much more happy than silver medalists. Isn't that interesting? The, the, bronze, the, the silver medalists in this study they discovered always replayed how they were that close to getting the gold, right? And the bronze medalist, uh, as the, the opposite end of the spectrum, was always so grateful because they could only imagine they were so close to not meddling at all, right? And you see, you see the, the, the perspective that we bring into things, kind of our, our internal uh, kind of work that's happening behind the scenes, our internal focus can heavily influence our response to circumstances. In other words, our focus ultimately determines our reality. Our focus ultimately determines our reality. Maybe you've noticed this even in just the practical day-to-day -day interacting with people. Some people you cross paths with, they're just optimistic regardless of how miserable the circumstances they're surrounded with. Have you crossed paths with that person? That's just the eternal optimist. In fact, when we were growing up, my uh, family teased my mom. Uh, we gave her the nickname Pollyanna. Does anybody know Pollyanna? Like they called her Pollyanna because she was always optimistic regardless. We're like, come on, mom. And maybe you know that person. Maybe you're sitting next to that person. Or the opposite side, based on focus, is the what? The person that's always negative regardless how good they have it or how good their circumstances are. It has to do with their focus. I was talking to a friend who has a uh, pretty, pretty successful guy, and he's like, man, it's so hard. I, I'm always around my, my boss who's always negative just about everything. And he's like, the other day he was complaining about how much he owed on his taxes that year, how much he had to pay on his, his taxes. And he's like, the amount that he had to pay, the percentage that he had to pay was greater than my entire income. I'm like, why, why, is he, why is he complaining? Maybe you know that person. Maybe you're sitting next to that person this morning. We won't say that. Uh, but here's the, the idea is that there's a tendency, if we're not careful, or there's a tendency for us to, look, to, to tend to find what we are looking for. In other words, we develop hypotheses about certain things, and we look for evidence to support our conclusion, and we ignore any kind of evidence that points to any other conclusion. 
You notice this about ourselves? We have that tendency to come to some hypothesis and you know what? I'm going to just cling to the, the things that endorse what I believe about something and I'm going to reject anything else that's the contrary. See that even in different relationships, you think about different relationships with, uh, with someone on the negative side of that, maybe they, once you've decided that you don't like a particular person, and I know that's not anybody in this, this group here, of course, but in church world, I've heard sometimes people don't like each other. If, uh, if you, you notice what happens with that is a lot of times when there's already the, the conclusion that you, man, I just don't like them, what do you tend to do? You tend to only focus on the negative things in that person's life. It's so hard to recover once somebody's come to a, a conclusion about somebody else. In fact, so many times you see marriages that are wrecked because of that. Now on the flip side, okay, we're gonna go back positive. How about the person that's young and madly in love with somebody? Young and madly in love, they don't see any of the negative qualities, and they, they're, they're totally immersed. They only see the good stuff. How, many, how often have you come across somebody and you're like, man, how did he marry her? Like, uh, or vice versa. How did, how did, why in the world did she marry him? Maybe you're sitting next to that person. Uh, but no, I'm just teasing. So, so we're, we're going to go away from that. But you get, you get the idea. In fact, they've given this a term, the, the description. Uh, an author, Ellen Langer, actually calls this premeditated cognitive commitments. Premeditated cognitive commitments. In fact, say that to your neighbor right now. That's just a fun one to say. Premeditated cognitive commitments. This idea that you come to a conclusion before you even enter in, and that literally affects your bias in quite a drastic way. Well, here you might wonder why I'm talking about this, but really this is often what sets the difference between a complainer and a worshiper. A complainer and a worshiper. A worshiper is the person that's pre-chosen to say, you know, regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to look and make the choice to praise God Regardless, the complainer on the opposite says, you know what, I'm, well, you know, I don't have to give you that description. The complainer is not hard to find in this culture, but we're invited to so much more. And I would suggest that in this passage, we're going to see Paul and Silas made the predetermined decision that they were going to celebrate God regardless of their circumstances. Let me pray as we explore the story. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning and even refreshed by being in your word. It's so awesome having these students just read through scripture together, God. I ask that you be reigning and ruling over our time right now, that you teach us a bit about this. Some of us right now would say, man, things seem to be going well. Others of us are in the thick of it, regardless of where we're at. think there's profit in the choice to focus on you regardless of our circumstances. I ask that you teach us through this text that you'd be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're in chapter 16. We're working through this, starting off in verse 11. I'm gonna give a, 
a little bit of a summary of verses 11 through 15, and then we'll focus more primarily on verses 16 and on. If you remember in the last week's uh, section in Scripture, the emphasis was on complete surrender, and the team of missionaries that was going out made the intentional choice to surrender in a lot of different areas before Almighty God, and this brought them to a, a location that wouldn't have been their first choice. They end up showing, uh, being led to Philippi, which was a Roman colony in that day and age that was known for its military, economic, political, kind of the center hub for a lot of those things, and really the, the gateway or entrance into Europe. So God had brought them to this city. They show up in the city, and as was usual for them, their first goal was to reach out to Jewish people in the area to introduce them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they show up and they try to find a synagogue, but there's no synagogue that exists in Philippi. Synagogue took 10 Jewish men to establish, so they didn't have that of those who were worshiping God, but they did find it. You'll read in that little section on the outskirts of the city, there's a group of women that, was get, that were gathering to pray, which is pretty cool to see. The women were kind of setting the tone for that in that, that particular uh, colony, Roman colony. And you see these missionaries first, they sit down with these uh, women and walk through the gospel message, which is very countercultural in that day and age to engage and interact with Gentile women. So this was a, a huge day. In fact, I was reading that Jewish men were known for a, a consistent prayer in their prayer life. They had some different repeated ones. And one of the prayers was, thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was, that was a repeated prayer, and maybe I'm not suggesting you add that to your prayer uh, routine, but, but that, was, that was super countercultural. So first off, they're, they're reaching out to women, which is a big deal, and Gentile women. They're reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ. That's what's amazing about the gospel message is it's for everyone. Here they're, we're introduced to a woman by the name of Lydia who becomes the first a European convert of that day and age. Her and her whole family, they're baptized. They, they fully dive in. It tells us a little bit about her, that she was a, uh, in the trade of purple dye, which was kind of an interesting thing back in that day and age. Purple was a very elevated color. In fact, it was something that was only worn by royalty and the wealthy. I was reading a little bit about that. I was like, why is that? Listen, this is a fun random fact, but it took about, in order to produce one ounce of purple dye, they had to harvest over 200,000 snails. So that's a lot of snails uh, in order to get that dye. So that was, a, that was the process to get a little bit of purple dye. So she was known for being uh, very wealthy and liking snails. Uh, but here... Here's the, the thing. So she invites them back into her own home, invites them to uh, spend time with her there. This literally becomes eventually the very first church in Philippi that Paul later writes to the Philippians. You know, that, that book, that's who he's writing to, is this house church that began with this conversion. So that's a little bit of a backdrop in these, this section here, kind of a cool thing. But you notice... It starts with a, a warm welcome where they're well received. And as we mentioned before, things start to turn. There's a pattern in Acts where it starts where there's a warm welcome and it goes south when a certain thing happens. What is that certain thing? Anybody remember that? When you start talking about Jesus. When you start talking about Jesus, there tends to be the elevation of obstacles when you choose to engage with people and bring up 
the name of Jesus. Maybe you've even noticed that in your own life, that, that, that welcome all of a sudden. If you're looking to lose friends and, and, and push people away, man, I'll tell you what, Jesus is a great way to do that, unfortunately. That's often where people turn a corner. I was talking some years back. Uh, we had a worship pastor of the ministry that I was leading. He was the, kind of the, if you have a stereotypical uh, skinny jean wearing thin guy, like the worship, worship leader guy. And uh, his name is Tony. He's a fun guy. Uh, had a great heart for the Lord. And he was t- got back from this experience and he's like all sweaty and panicked and like uh, all, all in a frazzle. And we're like, oh, Tony, what's going on? It was the middle of a work day. He's like, man, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. He's like, I was, I was coming in and I saw, saw this homeless guy and I decided, asked, reached out to him, said, hey, can I, can I give you a ride somewhere? He's walking and, he, and he's like, yeah, to the train station. So he gives him a ride to the train station. In the conversation, Tony says, man, I took the opportunity to start ta- telling him all about Jesus and how he's changed my life. He says, man, you wouldn't believe, you, you wouldn't imagine this guy's demeanor went from like, oh, thanks so much for the ride to all of a sudden just this, this just, despise this hatred in the middle. He said, Tony, Tony said, in the middle, I was asking this man, I was like, what would happen? We came to a parking spot where I was dropping him off. And he's like, he said, uh, I asked him, what would happen if you died today? And, And where would you spend eternity? Do you know that? He was asking that man. The homeless guy gets, gets our worship leader, Tony, in a headlock and said, what happens if you die today? And, and, and with Tony's eyes, like, Tony, what did you do? And he's like, I, I told him I'd go to heaven. And so, and, and, and so I was like, well, what? He, I said, well, how did that play out? He's like, yeah, he, he let me go. And then he went off on the train. And so I was like, not, not many times do you have a conversation that ends up in a headlock. But here's the idea is often when we're introducing Jesus Christ into a circumstance, it's not always well received. Anybody notice that? Anybody notice that in your interactions? It's not always well received. We're about to see where opposition arises. It's a pattern throughout Acts. It's proclaimed the proclamation of the gospel, and then opposition arises. Verse 16, as we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I like that, uh, turned and said said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. 
Let's stop there for a moment. Pretty intense. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say this uh, went south pretty quickly? All of a sudden, from, from being warmly received by this, this family embracing Christ and being baptized, to all of a sudden here, we come across this little girl who's described as a, would be present day what we'd describe as a medium, someone that had a kind of a, a inroad for t- the, the spiritual realm and kind of a, a scary thing here. In that day, mediums were widely used to seek wisdom before any kind of a major decision, a very lucrative thing if you had this this, uh, ability to interact with the spiritual world. It says that this woman was following, or little girl was following uh, him around, following them around, and you hear what she said. She kept on saying, it's interesting, these men, I picture it with a creepy voice though, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Well, there's a little bit of a, a Chucky aspect to that, but here's, the, here, here's the, the picture. This poor little girl, kind of in her helpless state, is there. And it's interesting that she acknowledges and recognizes that these men are from the Most High God. And they're bringing salvation, but still, regardless of that, is a dangerous thing because if she successfully was associated with them, she could really harm the church and what was going on there. So it says that that Paul was greatly annoyed. Have any of you ever been greatly annoyed by something before? Maybe on your drive to church this morning. But here's the, the idea, greatly annoyed. It says that he takes things into his own hands and says, you know what, I'm casting this demon out. This is happening after a couple of days. Like that would have been pretty intense, you imagine. So he casts out this, this demon and it's pretty sad if you think about it, her owners, if you will. Isn't that weird just to talk about owning somebody else? How dark and miserable that is in and of itself. But her owners, it says, they weren't rejoicing because, oh, yes, she's finally set free from this demon. It says, no, instead, they were fired up and angry because what did they see her as? Simply a moneymaker. How sick is that? How perverse. And so this, this poor little girl who's been set free, which is a beautiful thing, instead they try to rally the town against them to bring opposition because they were, they were mixing things up. They were setting people free. They were, they were turning people loose that had been chained that, that are finally set free. I um, was thinking about that and this, this interaction is that it's not very hard often to get a crowd, if you think about it, fired up based on false information here. They bring them to the magistrates, kind of a little background on how that works. Every single Roman colony had two magistrates, basically that would be governing that colony. So they bring them before kind of the two main officials and the two, the, the, the one hope for any kind of justice, they completely skip the whole judicial process and just move straight to conviction. There's no court proceedings. There's no, hey, let's hear your side of the story. It's literally moves to just beating them, beating them with rods. Literally, this is described as as one of the things that has the potential to even kill somebody, the severity of beatings that would happen in that Roman culture there. It says, Luke emphasizes that it was many blows before they're finally thrown into prison. You think about this, and how they're set up there, the way that prisons, when they, it says that they're put in stocks, stocks went around their legs, and the stocks were then attached to the side of a wall with your legs held apart. 
So they just gotten beaten on their, their backs completely. You can't imagine what that would have been like. And then they're laying on the floor with their legs held up. Where would that put the weight of your body on? Your back. So they're, they're, they're held up, legs up against the, the wall in stocks. Pretty miserable experience. You think about it. If you think about it, I think in this room we could probably all point to some pretty rotten days that we've had, right? Probably nothing in comparison to that. I remember... When my kids were little, we'd read them a book titled Alexander and the Horrible, Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Anybody read that book to your kids? I was thinking about that. This is, this is Paul and Silas's horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Like that's a, You can't imagine much worse than that for these gentlemen. Pretty miserable situation they're finding themselves. How in the world, as it relates back to our topic, how in the world do you choose to be optimistic on a day like that? How in the world do you choose to, to celebrate life and worship God on a day like that? How, how, does, how is that even possible? I would suggest one of the things that we see demonstrated in a moment here is there's the choice to zoom out and see the bigger picture as to what's going on here. Zoom out and see the bigger picture. I like the story of a college student who is writing home to their, her parents. She says this, Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly and we have moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant and he got fired because of his drinking, so we're moving to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of our, birth of our baby, your loving daughter. P.S. None of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class. I wanted you to keep it in perspective. <laughs> Think about that for a second. So often perspective has everything to do with how we see our circumstances, our focus. And here we're going to see verse 25, they chose to worship regardless. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Just a couple lines there, but pretty powerful description of this choice in the middle of the most miserable experience. You're beaten probably close to death. You're in prison. You're balanced on your back. And what are they choosing to do at midnight? Do you think after the, the, those hours that passed and they're laying there in pain and misery, do you think that's a, a time you'd typically associate with prayer and worship? But no, you see what they did is they made the intentional choice to worship. Like this quote, complainers can always find something to complain about. Worshippers can always something, find something to praise God about. Here in this circumstance, they chose to worship. Like this quote by Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl, this is what he says. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Pretty powerful, isn't it? 
The idea that we have a choice how we respond. Is that, does that mean in the middle of our circumstances? We're to, it almost seems like that's fake, right? Isn't worship fake in the middle of that? But here's the thing. It's not being weird. It's not saying, hey, we're, we're worshiping or we're celebrating these experiences. No, that's weird. No, you, you can acknowledge that, yes, this is a miserable situation. What, what the worship is, though, is worship is redirecting your focus off of the circumstances and onto the God who's sovereign, who's in control, who's driving the ship. You see, if you think about it, Paul and Silas, they didn't base their feelings on their circumstances, but those circumstances in light of what they already knew about their God. What did they know about their God? They knew that he was a rescuer. They knew, they knew that he was a healer. They knew that he had a purpose, that he took things that seemed broken and did amazing things out of them. You see, so often in the middle of our circumstances, we have to go back and revisit what we already have seen to be true about our awesome God. What we've already seen, the way that he's proven to be faithful, that he is a God that heals. He is a God that rescues. Think about it. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? You go down the rabbit hole of complaint. That's, that's the alternative. And how, how well does that end? Have you, any, anybody crossed paths with somebody that's just a perpetual, just complainer? Just complain, complain, complain. Where does that take you? It leaves you a miserable, bitter person. It's a gentleman that I've gotten to know in the last year, probably in his late 60s, a retired police officer. I've gotten to know him at the, the gym that I go to. Just interacting with him, he's had some pretty miserable things happen in his uh, own family circumstances in the last couple of years. It's been sad just, just uh, watching just the digression even of him personally. Just watching the, this story unfold where you see, man, he used to be just super upbeat. Now you just see it's, it's like taking the, the, the circumstances that he's found himself in have consumed him. Just talking to him, about, I'm like, man, I'm just concerned about you because you've, you've, you've given over to this situation and man, the outcome is not good. The alternative to worship is not taking us to a place we wanna be going. So Paul and Silas instead make the intentional choice to worship despite their circumstances. Now, interpretation by voting. How many of you think they sounded musically good that evening. Anybody think that they sounded like, man, they, those guys sounded awesome. They're totally in tune. Or do you think it was a little bit more like some of us singing on the 101 on our drive to work, just belting it out with no concern with how somebody thinks about how we sound? I, I think, I, I vote towards they sounded really bad. What do you guys think? I'm thinking they sound a raspy voices, it's cold, it's, it's damp in there, they're upside down. I'm not a singer, but probably upside down doesn't do well vocally for anyone. But you notice what it says there in the text. What does it say happens? It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. I would suggest the prisoners, the people they were surrounded with, were just like, man, whatever they have, I want that. Whatever they have, I, I'm desperate for that kind of a joy that isn't influenced by circumstances. I'm desperate for it. 
I'm desperate for it. And here's the awesome thing, that, that even with their off-key singing, they're miserable, that we later see in these verses that come that their choice to worship was validated. Their choice to worship was validated. Their choice to worship, it set off a chain reaction of God doing the miraculous. And I think often in our life, when we're wondering why, man, why isn't God not working? What if we stirred the spiritual world and said, you know what, my worship is gonna start a chain reaction of things moving and going a different direction. In this, this circumstance, it sure did. Verse 26, and suddenly, in the middle of their worship, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are, we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, listen to this, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them to the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once and he, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these things to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent, sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And, they do, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Love that. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, who ignored what they suggested. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Stop there. Kind of this story unfolds. Talk about the ultimate reversal of a scenario. The ultimate reversal of a scenario. You see what happens. First it starts in the, the worship is the, is the catalyst for an earthquake. That must have been a, quite some singing they did. An earthquake where the prisoners are, are literally set free, but they decide to stick around for the worship concert. Like how cool is that? The prisoners choose to stay put despite having their bonds released. You think about that. When we're actually set free spiritually, who cares about our circumstances or where we're located? They choose to stay. You see that the, the prison guard is stopped from suicide. He knew that if they were going to all be released, he was in big trouble. So he's about to take his own life. Paul rescues him, says, man, don't do it. Don't do it. He doesn't do it. He comes in, gets direction on how he can be saved. It's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. He and his whole household are saved. Baptism, I kind of picture what that must have been like. A baptism ceremony in the middle of the night. 
right. How cool is that? This, this, this man, his whole family is baptized. They're, 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 the comeback, he's redeemed. It says that he rejoiced that he had chosen to believe to, from suicide to celebration. Pretty awesome there. Then the next day, see, I find this little section of the story interesting too. Then the next day, what, what happens there? They come and they say, hey, good news, Paul, Silas, you've been released. The magistrates say that you can go. I love that. They're just like, no, we're not ready to go yet. We're going to stick around here. The jailer must have been just like, no, guys, really, you should go. You should, no, no, they're not going to beat us illegally and stick us in prison and not come and set us free. So they demand that these two leaders of the whole city, this whole huge influential colony, come there and set them free themselves. Can you imagine that? Like uh, Paul and Silas, no, we're staying right here. We're not leaving. They're like, and the, it gets back to the, the magistrates. They, they show up and they give, what does it say? An apology. How many apologies do you think happened in that Roman government back then? Do you think there were many apologies? I, this might possibly be the one and only apology by a Roman official in that day and age. So an apology is an extended talk about God taking something completely broken and redeeming it for his glory and his good. Do you think that the word of this maybe spread throughout that area? Think anybody else heard about this? Or do you, th do you think? We know because the church took off in that region that God used this in a miraculous way. And, and here's the thing for us to remember that our choice to worship will be validated. Our choice, he, he's not gonna leave us hanging. We're, we're just getting a, a little head start of it. The good news is I read the end of the book, you guys, and we win. Our worship will be validated. This is all heading towards the conclusion that everybody, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord, that he is reigning all. So us as worshipers, we're just getting a head start on it. And really, if you think about it, was this an easy choice? Absolutely not. Was it hard when they're laying there with their, their ankles held above their, their heads in pain? Was that easy? No. But here's the thing to also understand. We have a God that's not always that concerned. Here's maybe hard for us to hear. Not always that concerned with our comfort. But he is concerned with impact and purpose in our life. And if you're weighing and considering which one you'd rather have, I don't know. I think I'd vote towards the impact and purpose rather than the comfort. That's on the other side of focusing on worship rather than complaint. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for this picture. And it seems almost unattainable. And I think that's because it is in and of ourselves, God. But when your spirit has reign and rule in our life, when we're submitted to you, when we're surrendered to you, then it is possible for your spirit to bring a focus that can't be explained, a focus that makes everyone around us say, what in the world do they have that I don't have? God, I pray for us just as a, a people that's trying to emulate some of these things from this book, God, that you would do that work in us, that we'd make the decision in advance that we're gonna be worshipers and not complainers. 
that our focus would change drastically the, the, the course of our days because we're worshipers. God, we know that this is only possible through you. That's why we submit to you again, even here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much for coming this morning. God bless you.